First, I really want to thank you for, for having me. <clears throat> I apologize, I have a little bit of a cold. So if my voice is normally annoying, it's going to be particularly disturbing tonight. I appreciate Rabbi Feinstein's introduction because <clears throat> that's a perfect introduction for what I'm going to talk about. And it's what I've been trying to do together with wonderful people in our community and where I teach is really to remind to remind ourselves to remind ourselves of what Rabbi Yitzhak was talking about there's a God in heaven and on earth and sometimes amongst ourselves with all of our with all of our care and observing mitzvahs and looking the right way and acting the right way something is missing you know Matzai Shabbos Matzai Shabbos Jews like to be together it's not just Jews Lahavdul Matzai Shabbos in general you know people like to hang out when I was when I was younger if we were stuck home or God forbid you'd be stuck home on Matzai Shabbos you felt that you know you, you would never get married there was no future So where does this shuka come from? Before we even begin, why it's so good to be here together with you? Although I must say it's a lot colder and crunchier outside. But why? But why is it so good to be together with Jews in the Matzei Shabbos? And where does this longing come from? So one of the tzaddikim said, you know, the first time of the week that that redemption can come, the first time that. Eliyahu can come. That's why we sing about Eliyahu. The first time that he can come is is after Shabbos. As the Gemara says, he can't come every Shabbos. Doesn't come Shabbos. So the first time that Eliyahu can appear in our lives is Matzai Shabbos. So this tzaddik said that really what happens is that Matzai Shabbos every Matzai Shabbos in our lives somehow deep within the very essence of who we are, there's this longing for the end, which is the beginning. There's a longing for Gula, for redemption. There's a longing for us to be back together with those who have left the world and, that, and to be truly connected to those who are in the world. So what happens is Matzai Shabbos, when it's not happening, when we see that Mashiach hasn't, hasn't come. So there's a terrible disappointment and the loneliness is particularly profound. And we're in pain. Therefore, there is a stronger yearning for people to be with one another, for Jews to connect. In the whole world, Matzai Shabbos, people are, people are running around looking for these connections in inappropriate ways. But for you to come out and Matzai Shabbos and to come together, because you want to be better Jews, you want to be better parents, probably you want to be better children, grandchildren, friends. So that much we know that we're a little bit lost. And if we're together, it's good to be together with other people who are looking for the truth. Let me begin by telling you a story. I usually just conclude with a story, but since Matzai Shabbos, among the Chassidim, you all know, it's the very beginning to tell stories of tzaddikim. And we believe, and I believe with all of my heart, that it helps us with panas, it helps us with health, and everything during the week, if we tell, if we tell stories of tzaddikim. 
En dan moet zij s'avonds betikkelen de balsamte, en dan daar de balsamte. Er was een, er was een tzaddik, Reb Lezer van Jekyll. De Jekyll. His mechutten, his mechutten was the famous tzaddik, the, the Diverchai. I'm sure many of you heard of Reb Chaim Halberstam, the sons of Rov, the sons of Rov is God Lahador. You know that his descendants are illustrious people. So what happened was is that this tzaddik of Lazarus from Jikiv himself was a great tzaddik. This of Lazarus from Jikiv was extremely sick. He was on his deathbed. And he, and he, he was happy when he saw that his machutna, Divichayim, came to see him. And the Blazerl began to cry, Machutin, please, I beg of you, daven for me. I don't know how much longer I could hold on, please daven. So the Divichayim said to the Blazerl from Jacob to his Machutin, he said, Look, he said, The truth of the matter is, this world is an almond and shikra. It's a world that's filled with falsehood. Why do you want to live? Maybe it's better you should die. Sir so Blazel was very shocked, you know. But Billam was the other way. But Billam, you know, he wanted the curse, it came out of blessing. I came, I, I asked you that you should give me a bracha, I'm so sick, and instead he told me I should leave the world. So the Debechaim said, yeah, what's so good about this world? Maybe you should go. So Blazel began to cry, and he says, Machutin, Rabbi Chaim, if I knew for sure that I was going to a good place, if I knew for sure that I had a spot that was secured, I wouldn't be afraid to die. But I don't know. So the Rechaim said, that's what you worried about. You know you always trusted me. You know that the whole Jewish people trust me. I, I can tell you, I can guarantee that Bez Hashem, for you it's going to be very good when you leave this world. So you can go ahead and die. So now Reb Lezel is starting to get more nervous. So Reb Lezel says, look, Reb Chaim, I believe that. Okay, thank God there's a good place. But you know, even if that's the case, what about my, what about my wife? And he had sons. What about my sons? What's going to be with them? So the, the Reb Chaim said, you worried about that? Do you know you have sons that, thank God, are brilliant Talmud HaChachamim? You know that, that I will make sure that they have proper positions as Rabbanim, as Dayanim, as Rosh Hashivas, and the Rebbe's will be taken care of. She's Amishpach, you don't have to worry. The dog isn't the head. So, that wasn't in the original story. So, so at this point, he's Mamish, he's Mamish in trouble, a Blazerl. So Blazerl said, look, but you know, there's one thing. I'm prepared to leave, but there's one thing I can't come to terms with. You know, it's almost Rosh Hashanah, he said. And, the, and there's a niggin that I have when I sing, Ain't Kitz for Lishnesacha, you know, by Kedusha. There's a certain niggin. Let me just tell you that this Reblazer from Jacob, they say that he was the most unbelievable Baltfil. It was amazing. So Reblazer said, Reb Chaim, it's almost Rosh Hashanah, if I die, then who's going to sing? You know, when I sing that nigga, and Kitzvah, the Malachim above, the angels are wondering, happy to be from that miserable world down below that could come such covered Shemai, such honor and glory to the master of the world. So if I die, 
who's going to sing that ain't kids, or what's going to be with my ain't kids? And when Chaim heard that, when the Dibber Chaim heard that, he was very shaken. The Maisa was that he went to the mikveh, and he came back to the mikveh, he spent the rest of the day davening, and Rebbe from Jacob lived for another 14 years. So when I first heard that story, when I first heard that story, I was thinking, you know, that's, that's beautiful, that's Rebbe Lezel from Jacob's ain't kitzvah, it was worth so much to the Vayin Shalom. But, how does it have anything to do with me? You know, by Chassidim, particularly in Chabad, Tzadikim say that when you hear a story, you have to ask, Uvachayim, unless it is. Stop to tell stories is a waste of time. You have to ask yourself, well, what, what does it mean for me? So I thought about this a lot, and this is why I want to open with this story. What the story means for me is that over the years of being a parent and being a Rebbe, I've come to learn that every child has his, has his or her own soul. It's not necessarily my soul. My wife has helped me learn that I have to understand the children's songs. Because in the beginning, I wanted everybody to sing to my tone, to my beat. I'm beginning to understand over the years as a Rebbe and as a parent that there's a certain nakuda, there's a certain point of chen, of beauty, in each and every Jew. And that's that Jew's engagement. That's his or her nigga, that's the nigga, that's the song of that person's life. And the child doesn't know. The Chedushim said that you never ever know what is it about you that gives Hashem the light. So if, the, if you think it's something, it's a similar that it's not, that's not it. But there's a certain chain. And that's the song of each and every Jew. Our job as parents, as teachers, as friends, is to be able to understand that song and to bring out that song in the life of each and every child and each and every friend. The question is how? The question is how? This is not a sheer, I won't say shout, it's not, it's not a sheer. I want to talk to you, the Ram Hayyayzim in our life. Plain. Nothing fancy. The Ram Hayyayzim in our life. As I understand, there are two real obstructions there are two problems, there's some, there are two obstacles that are preventing us from bringing out the soul from each and every child. There's something in the way. There's a lot of talk now about children who are in trouble, the things that are being written. I'm sure that many of you saw this happening over the years. This, is not, this didn't happen overnight. Our communities are growing everywhere, Baruch Hashem. And there are no walls of the ghetto that are insulating and isolating us. There are, as I see it, there are two major problems. And we have to struggle to overcome these problems. And you, and from what I understand, I saw that there are wonderful people as part of a series of talks. And I'm sure they're going to have very practical and insightful things to say. They did and they will. But I'm only offering my little piece of the puzzle. The one that obviously means most to me. And I'm sharing it with you. The Balshantav HaKodesh said that there's a part of davening that we say every day 
Some people say morning and night. It's a little bit different than Nusuch, but we say it. And that if we would say this with all of our hearts, and we would stretch it out a little bit more, the Mashantav said that if you stretch this out, it would shorten the years of Gullus. What bracha? What part of the avenue? That bracha that comes before Kriyashma. Ahava Rabba, Ahava Soylam, whatever the Yonusuch is. Ahava Soylam, Ahavtonu, Hashem, Avokayim. The bracha before Kriyashma, that at night, Shabbat Shalom, said, that if you stretch out that bracha, and you put your heart into it, it will shorten the goals. Therefore, you could be, if you're in a chastidish place, you could, you could be with a bunch of fellows that really don't know anything, and they might not even be living lives that are exemplary, but a havasoylam, they'll shrug, you know, they'll scream by a havasoylam, by havasoylam, because they saw by the, by the parents and grandparents that there's such an Indian, that it comes from the Balsham. So I was thinking, why is that? What's the Balsham talking about? It has to mean something for us. What, what is it about that bracha? So first you have to know that there are different, le- there are different levels of goals. Goals doesn't just mean the Jewish people being displaced as a people from Israel. There are people who live right now by the Kaisal HaMarogi, they can look out their windows and they can see the Kaisal and they're in a very bit of goals. Because goals means when you're living in a house and you feel unfulfilled. People get married because they were hoping to find fulfillment, enrichment. They were hoping that there would be understanding, compassion, warmth. They were hoping that in that place that's called the home, they'd be able to escape from the frightening world outside. And how many, how many of us, how many Jews are so disappointed and broken that in their own homes they were goals? How many people are homesick even when they're home? How many people are thinking, I could have, I should have, I would have? Why didn't I? How many people are at work and they dread going to work? Every day, what am I doing? What am I doing? I hate this. But now I can't get out of it because I have to support the Mishpoch. I'm stuck. How many, how many other women who have such a hard time with the children? They want to have children, but then when they have the children, they can't find the instructions that came with them. You know, so what do I do? What do I do? And there's goals. Children and goals. Parents and goals. Friends and goals. Goals means we are not where you're supposed to be. We are not the person you can be. You're in a state of goals. So the question is, where does goals begin? How did goals begin? The beginning of goals is one pasuk in Chumash. You all know it. There was a night that, from many years ago, has been a night of. of Morning of crying, and it's going to be that Hashem Yirach until the end of time. And you know that's the night of Tishah. And when did that begin? When did that goals of Tishah begin? So you all know that when the spies came back, when the Ragnum came back with a negative report, right? When the Ragnum came back, and the Jewish people felt a total, complete sense of despair. So you remember that. Pasuk, I don't know if it sticks out in your minds. The Pasuk that says, B'sinas Hashem Aysan. You know why God took us to the Midbar? 
You know why Hashem brought us to this desolation, to this place called the desert, the Bimba? You know why? Because He despises us, He hates us. The Shalom hates us. That was the first Tishabah. That thought that the Torah reveals is the beginning of Tishabah, was the beginning of Golis. The thought of what Bissinus Hashem saw know that God despises us. Do you know how many Jews there are? Who put on tillum, who keep shamans, who keep kosher, who spend half their panasha to send the kids to yeshiva, but deep, deep down, there's something inside that says, Hashem doesn't love me. Hashem despises me. Because I did this in there, I did that in there. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. Who? Why is it that you walk typically, and I, I'm always afraid you shouldn't say things badly, God forbid, about Jews. You can walk into a shul that's filled with Jews or Shem Shams. No? Shem Shamimitsis. Jews who, who would die in a moment. I'll kill this Hashem if they had to. And the rabbi has to stay there ten times. Shh, shh, shh. They can't die. Not only that, but even people who are outside the shul who are not animated, who are not the best conversationalists. But in shul, each person becomes like a, like a celebrity. You ever see? So, you know, like everyone's like, even like these quiet, timid people in shul, everybody's transformed. You know, to some social butterfly. Outside shul, the guy would say, how you doing? He would run away. Inside shul, well, Hello, I'm doing okay, how are you and kids? Abed, And so we go through a davening. So davening a place where people would, ex- where you would think that people would be most excited to be close to Hashem in His place, in His house. You understand psychologically what davening there, people are afraid to face Hashem because He's most present there, therefore we have to hide in the craziest hiding places, behind all kinds of stupid conversations. You ever listen to us? Do we ever listen to our songs, the conversations? And the from they talk about Torah during Davenes. This is something that's a new thing. But we're hiding. Why? There are many reasons. Plain and simple, as I said, I'm talking plain. Many of us feel that the Rebbeinu would not be interested in hearing from us if we thought for a second, like Hashem said, that every word that you daven, Hashem stands by your lips and He kisses your lips as the words come out, we wouldn't daven. What if you'd be, what if you'd be by a big tzaddik? Chais, you know, you'd be by a big tzaddik and then you go to daven by the Bob of a Rebbe. He should have a Rishas Yom Hashem. You go daven by a big tzaddik. And let's say the whole davening, you see the Rebbe Shmuzah with the Shams. Clearly. You wouldn't feel so broken, you go up to the Rebbe, you have to Rebbe, I don't understand. The whole davening, you're talking. And the Rebbe would say, well, you also talk all davening. So, so what would you say to the Rebbe? You'd say, Rebbe, how can you compare your davening camps? Your davening makes a difference. And the Rebbe would say to you, your davening also makes a difference. But because we feel, on some level, that God hates us, He's not interested in our davening. So in that place where we, where we should feel most His love, we hide in the most bizarre way. In the craziest way, we hide. This is Hashem, my son. Do you know how many children feel hated? That it comes out after 20, 30 years. I have a student of mine. And just a few weeks ago, she told me something that, that, that I can't stop thinking about. They noticed that they noticed that one of their children was not 
was not his, was not his usual self. And they found out how they found out the whole story. They found out that there was some terrible abuse that was taking place in his yeshiva, Hashem Yerachim. Terrible. It wasn't going on for a day. It was going on for over a year, regularly. With a person who that boy looked up to. So how does a boy like that feel? I can't stop thinking about it. He feels that God hates him. He's big. Of course it's not his fault, but he feels despised. Thank God the parents are tuned into the kid. And they looked and they looked and they found. I don't know how they're going to have a Yeshua and a Rafua. But that child walks around feeling the sin of Hashem. How many of us feel like that? How many times do I talk to people over the years? I'm talking to Jews for over 20 years. That it took so long until it came out that my parents, my father never listened, my mother didn't care. <laughs> How many of us are still, still recuperating from our experience, you know, with certain teachers? Not to say, God forbid, that there aren't the teachers are wonderful people, mostly it's... But honestly, I grew up in a... I grew up in a in an environment where it was very... I, I didn't feel that I was appreciated or loved in Yeshiva. Bo Hashem at home, I felt very much loved. I think it was, I was suffocating from the love. But as far as... But as far as... My experiences outside the home, I think that I felt... Besides Hashem, I see. Especially since the rebellion that I had drilling into me, into all of us, over and over. If you do this, you are Russian, or Russia, 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 Russia. So, the Balshanta Vakalus taught an amazing thing. Since the beginning of Gaul is the beginning of exile, is that feeling of he doesn't love me, he's turned away from me, he's disgusted me. That's the beginning of all Gaulus. That's when a person begins to stray from who? From his soul, from her soul. So the Balshanta Vakalus said that the only way back is what? is to say over and over and over and to stretch it out and to, and to think about it deeply when you're saying it. You know, when you read it in English, it sounds so much more religious. Because we got used to saying it in Hebrew. Can you think of the words? Hashem loves us with an infinite love. It means no matter what I've done wrong, I have to fix it. But Hashem, you love me the same way that you are ain soif. That you are infinite and, end, and without end. So too, your love for each and every one of us is without end. It's infinite. So the person says, When a child feels, when a child feels, that my parents love me in an infinite way, in the deepest way. I'm not giving a practical point as about how to do that. It's not, I'm not really, I'm not even in that, I just, I'm talking about, I'm talking about a frame of mind. You see, it used to be, I remember growing up, growing up, my parents would leave the house Maybe four or five times a year. I remember my parents going away, and that was already a lot. You know, I had a chasna or something. 
Nowadays, you know how different things are. Listen, there should only be simchas. Only simchas for you. But you know, Kaya and I have a lechai. So when we, I had a lechai, I meant that the, just had an uncle parents. But now the lechai, there probably some lechai that are already catered. And I have nothing against Jewish caterers. And photographer, and Mustafa, there'll be flowers and the whole, the whole thing. So then, they, then you have to be out for the lechai. You have to go to the lechai. I just saw the guy 15 minutes ago. He said mazel tov, and you have to come to the other place and say mazel tov. See the lechai. And the lechai, there's a vort. That's the, sh- the vort's already. I, mean, I don't know about over here, but the vort's already big. In <clears throat> it's not just a vort. It's a whole paragraph, and it's taking place. <laughs> and it's taking place in a, in a way that's not like it was, ever was within Knesset Yisrael. Again, it should only be simchas, but there's another night to go to the heart. And then for the, for the girls, there's of course a shower. Maybe women go to the shower. Guys don't usually shower. <laughs> Bridal shower. Right? Then uh, after the shower, so there's the chasna v'shatayu. The chasna, if you're close, then there's shavar So If you're very close, there's more than one shavar It's all beautiful. And then there's the one night that the parents are not going out and oh, dinners. Dinners. It's a whole sugi, right? And they're all necessary. To the yeshivas, the maizdas, we have to do something. So then there comes finally to that one night that the parents are home. And the children are so thrilled. And suddenly they see the parents put the coats on. And the children are saying, Mommy, Daddy, where are you going? We're going to our parenting class. <laughs> so, the, so then the... So then the kids say, why don't you practice a little, why don't you parent it over here? We have to go to the parenting class. Well, we're experiment, we're here. Parent? Whatever, whatever that means, parent. So, I mean, the mice are all here tonight. So, so good, fine. So parenting, parenting. The kids are the children. You know, they don't say everything. They walk around. They don't talk much about certain things, you know, so especially from boys, it's come out impossible to get anything nowadays except for a crest. <laughs> but from the girls, even who are more expressive, we don't hear so much about these things. But I knew, I knew growing up, that I would, my sister and I were the absolute center of their universe. And I still know that. The center of their universe. I knew it. It was clear to me every minute of my life that I was the center of the universe. We're living now in such lachas, pressure, communal pressure, work. The pressure is so oppressive. So even the one or two nights that the parents are able to be a little bit, it's not with the yeshiva das. There's something missing. Everybody's all rigged. People walk around like, like, like time bombs with machines. And Chatskilach, you know, all these different things. You walk like a guy's a walking computer, walks with all different wires and things, and antennas coming out from everywhere. And he doesn't know. Every time he hears something on a cell phone or a beep, you have 400 people going like this. And so there's no use of us. There's no use of us because even if it's not ringing that second, it could ring. <laughs> I never, I never saw my parents never had such daggers that someone's gonna all of a sudden, you know, without any wires. My father to this day, 
you know, whenever I call him on the cell phone, so my father says, hang up. He always tells me, hang up. I said, I'm not driving. He says, it's not good for you. Hang up. <laughs> no, there are no wires. It's dangerous. So, so the children, whether they admit or not, they look like they're happy because we give them their own chachkaluch. The children feel forsaken. You can give all the fancy lectures in the world. The children playing a portion feel, to some degree, abandoned. There are large families in Anahara, and everybody's being brought, the firm are being, everybody in the issue is being told, you know, to have nice big families, Bez Hashem, they should all be healthy. And you try to do a little homework at the Chaparan here and there, and this one, you know, needs more time, and you say, tomorrow I'm going to spend more time with Yanki. And Thursday I'm going to spend more time with, with, with Rofi. But it doesn't always come out that way. And even when you spend time, it's interrupted, it's not real. So in a very subtle way, the children are beginning to feel, I think, that I'm loved. And you know, it doesn't help you say, I love you, I love you, you know these, uh, I love you, I love you. What does it mean? To say I love you. My father was never the type of around saying, I love you. That's how he lived that way, and I knew it. He didn't have to tell me every second. And you find there are people that I see them and they have telephone conversations. They can be talking about taking out the garbage, so you know, I love you. So long I'll see you later, I love you. But it came like a cheap thing. Living, I love you. To give speeches about that, everybody writes songs, but in terms of living a life where every moment is a is an outpouring of love. It's a different parish. It's a different parish. So the children are having a hard time singing. You know, when we see the Brahma before Krishna, we speak about the Malachim singing. For Malach to sing, it also says Kula Mahuvin. <laughs> Even for Malach to sing, he has to feel loved. So that's why we say over there, Kula Mahuvin, Kula Mahuvin. When you know that someone loves you, then you Mamish can sing. When you feel loved, whatever that consists of for that person, then you sing. You feel like singing. You know how it is. Even if someone pays you a silly little compliment, it could take you for a couple hours. A little compliment, you can feel good, Mamish, for a few hours. And you run it over in your head. You know, you get a compliment at work, you did a good job. You go around with that for maybe even a day or two. A compliment. I want to read you something. Now, Shul is named Eish Kaidish after the Holy Tzaddik the Bizetsna who was killed by Kiddush Hashem. He was the last Rebbe in the Warsaw Ghetto. He chose to stay there even though he had papers to leave. At the beginning he stayed. <clears throat> and ultimately he was taken and he was killed. Some of you might be familiar with his writings. His songs are unbelievable. Chavis HaTalmidim, which has been translated to students' obligation, Chavis HaVreichim, Der HaMelech. And I named the shul after this tzadik for many reasons. But this first paragraph in his Sefer Chavis HaTalmidim is probably the main reason. Listen, let me read it to you. Take some minutes. The beginning of Chavis Atalmiyah. It's been translated to English. It's wonderful. It's called a student's obligation. He was a Rebbe. He loved children. Listen to the first paragraph. Child of Israel, you are fortunate and blessed. You have merited to study Torah which shines with divine radiance. You are God's delight. He tenderly loves you. Hmm? I'm telling you, I felt that at home, but in the yeshiva, 
You are God's terror. He desperately despises you. No, really, I hate to say it. Mostly that's what I felt. I had one Rebbe, Baruch Hashem. I could say one Rebbe that saved our whole country. One Rebbe. The others, I'm sure they were good people. And, I, and my father begged me not to blame them. My father begged me not to look, look at them in a negative way. Many of them were survivors themselves. And my father said, you can't have tiny's. But mostly I had, most of them were bitter, angry people. Bitter, angry people. And the only thing they know how to yell is to put your finger in the Gemara to be quiet. Hashem Yorachim. So the Rebbe says, you are God's delight. He tenderly loves you. The angelic beings who inhabit the higher spiritual dimensions envy you and recognize your preciousness. Your existence is a source of wonderment for the divine Srochim, for the Malachim. They honor you. The heavens and all the celestial beings, the earth and everything that fills it, rejoice in you and are ready to bend according to your will. The whole universe redounds with the question, Who is this child from whose mouth pillars of fire shoot forth? Whom the most high and exalted God, who is constantly surrounded by multitudes of his angels, looks at in his pride and joy. And then the Rebbe says, You too should be filled with joy and exaltation at your great good fortune. You are like someone privileged to be in the intimate circle of the king. The Holy One, blessed be he, whispers his secrets in your ears in teaching you Torah not to rejoice and be a sin. If you are aware of all of this, if you could experience the state of great purity of mind and heart that exists as you learn Torah, if you could inwardly feel the closeness of God who places himself as a word directly in front of you and learns with you as you learn, if you realize that everything you ask of God concerning your life and the needs of your parents and family like that are like the sweet request a child makes of a parent, so closes God to you, and if you really knew that God answers you and wishes to please you like a father does a beloved child, you would be filled with happiness and your whole being would rejoice. There he goes on to explain that all of the difficulties, all of the problems, are because the child does not know that. It's not clear to the child that he is God's delight and God tenderly loves him. And therefore the child, the child falls into a place of goals, whether he feels as an outcast among some friends. I remember, I remember sometimes just growing up, there was one guy in our Chavra that he used to, he used to make us feel used to make us feel uh, uncomfortable. And we always were trying to please him. He was like the, the leader of that group. And I felt often, you know, that I was living my life to try to please this guy. And I would become, I would become very depressed when I, when I felt that I wasn't successful. So this is the goal of Zerba <clears throat> This is the obstacle. And many of the children are experiencing this in a profound way. The sin is Hashem, my son. There's nothing in the world that can change it except But it means unconditional love. It doesn't mean I will love you on my terms. I'm not suggesting, I'm not, I'm not some sort of a, uh, a liberal that would suggest that the children could do whatever they want. Of course it has to be. The children, the children yearn for a miscarriage, for clarity. The children desperately need a framework. I'm not saying that a kid could be whatever he wants and do whatever she wants, but what I am saying is children need to feel loved and respected. And that doesn't mean that they have to live exactly the way that you or I want. I had a certain idea of the type of yeshiva that I wanted my, I had kind of six girls and a boy, I had a certain idea of the kind of yeshiva that I wanted my son to go to, and I, you know, I said, I tell them we're going to go someplace on a trip, 
We were going, you know, about to eat, this and that, of course. I took him to eat and I got my baseball glove and then I just hopped up the pass, go to that yeshiva that I want. And you know, this what? So he hopped right away. So he had that look and I took him and I said, listen, listen, was it hurt to go see? This is before, you know, when he was in eighth grade. Was it hurt to go see? And he saw people, you know, that were different from him. And, and he wasn't used to that type of an environment. And I was upset. He was very negative about it. And my wife said, what do you want from him? What do you want? Did, you, did, did he go to such a place for the last 10 years? For the last 12 years? What do you expect of him? So I know, in all honesty, that I wanted my son to sing my song. And if it doesn't, if it's not my song, I'm angry. I'm angry about it. And there are many, many children that are growing up zebrochen because they're being forced to sing somebody else's song. We have to be careful. And to give unconditional love. And Rav Kok Zechazach said that the goals came because of sinners chinam, hatred without reason. And the only way to fix that is with a havas loving unconditional. And you know they say that part in the yeshivas, but they don't quote Rav Kok. Because it's interesting, isn't it? The whole part is you should love unconditionally, but it doesn't pass to say from Rav Kok. He wasn't a holy enough Jew for that. That's problem A. Aleph. Bays is a little bit more complicated. Maybe not, it's a little bit more complicated. And for this I'm going to begin by reading another paragraph from the writings of the Rebbe from Piazetsna, Columbus Kalm. This is found in Sabazir's there are many miracles just behind the story of how the Rebbe's writings were preserved. So that, that itself is in the introduction to the, in the English volume of, of Students' Obligation to read about how his writings were preserved, how his teachings were preserved. Now he gave over Tyrus in the Warsaw Ghetto, and the place was falling apart. And these Tyrus were preserved. Listen to this. This is the second problem. As, as I, I mean, there are many problems, but this is, as I understand it, the overwhelming problem. The human, I wrote this and I quoted this in, an, in that article that Rabbi Feinstein was, was quoting from. I brought down this paragraph from the Holy Tzadik, the Pizetzna. <clears throat> the human soul relishes sensation. The nature of the neshama, the nature of the soul is that it relishes, it longs to be excited. The neshama wants to be excited. Not only if it is a pleasant feeling, but for the very experience of stimulation. Sooner sadness or some deep pain, rather than the boredom of non-stimulation. The person would rather feel even some, even upset, something, than no stimulation at all. Maybe you'll have people that, there's some people that they major in talking about service. You ever meet them? You say, how's everything? How the children? You didn't hear your uncle had a heart attack? Okay, I could have heard it, you know, 15 minutes later. What is it about those things? Because none of us want to hear bad news, really. We don't want anything bad to happen. But you know that when there's something really, really crazy that's going on, some terrible tragedy, I once read that when there's a tragedy, a catastrophe that of major scale, the newspapers will sell something like 20 times more. There is some fascination because a person wants to be excited, wants to be stimulated. And to open the newspaper, does you know, today, can you imagine you get the newspaper, nothing happened. 
<laughs> Pushed by the newspaper, just the headlines, nothing happened. Wouldn't it wouldn't sell? So everybody's excited and stimulated, and if you see something really upsetting, oh, that's Gishmak. As long as it's not God forbid, Lunzer, not our people, but if it's something, when I say it's Gishmak, I don't mean that we want God forbid to ever hear tragedies by any people. We hear what happened with the plane in the Alaska, and of course everybody's broken. innocent people are hurt, people die, it's terrible. But they're already saying that a person would rather have some sadness and deep pain rather than the boredom of non-stimulation. People will watch distressing scenes and listen to heart-rending stories just to get stimulation. Such is human nature and a need of the soul, just like all of other needs and natures. So they're saying, you know how people are obsessed with, with horror stories and horror movies, horror movies. I remember there was a, in an earlier Gilgal of mine, there was a, so back a long time ago, you remember, I know this is a religious community, so no one, you don't have to raise your hand to admit that you saw this, but <clears throat> there, was a, there was a movie, The Exorcist. Exorcist. Oh, so you heard, some of you heard of it. So there was a movie called The Exorcist. Now this was, I'm sure nowadays a kid would live at that. This is, this. But in our time, I was a pach. No, I was really afraid. Now I had some, I had a chavra, the guy that's three tickets, but like a, before it was in the movies, it was like a sneak preview type of a thing. And uh, I'm walking into The Exorcist, and the island that saw the movie before us, they're walking out. Yeah? And as we're walking in, I'm looking at these people. They look like their mom was heading to the base oil room, you know, to the cemetery. <laughs> they're white, and they're like, they, they, you see that they've been completely traumatized. <laughs> and they're walking out. And you know, you get a little nervous, we're walking in, so you get a little nervous, it's like Mishnah. The Mishnah's coming out, the Mishnah's going in, so you're getting a little nervous. So of course, those of us who are, who are Nichnosim, who are going in, last plus nine so we look at these people coming out in Akkadish and we ask, no, <clears throat> how was it? And he has people that can barely talk. They say, unbelievable. <laughs> it, was, it was great. So you're thinking, what is it? I mean, the poor guy looks like he's half dead. And then you go in and you see, you know, and we, and we also said, Skivaldic. The head was turning. <laughs> and it was Skivaldic. And you know, we were talking a little bit at the table last night, and I speak to my children about this. Yeah, we were talking about this at the table last night, about my girls, they love amusement parks. Now, I, honestly, even as a kid, I hated those places. But we had to go, because if you didn't go, then you, you know, it was like you weren't, uh, you weren't a brave soul. So you had to go on the rides, even I, I mamish hated them. So, but my children, my daughters, you know, I've made many pilgrimages to these places over the Cholomites. And uh, my daughters, they love this stuff. And when I asked, we were just talking about this last night, when I asked my oldest, she was launched on this, on this ride, and she came, you know, they come running out to go again, right? So I, I asked her, why do you love this ride? What is it about this ride you love so much? So she said, we almost died. <laughs> we almost died. It's a great ride. Daddy, please come, Daddy, Daddy, please So I don't want to go. I don't want to almost die. So it says that, the, that the, you're, you're 500 feet up and the floor drops and there's nothing there. And so we almost died. So you understand, people are, 
people are looking for all kinds of thrills and excitement. I mean, this is a Dava Yidua. Much has been written about this in psychology. And I've read a great deal about it as well. It fascinates me. Why is it that people, why is it that, you know, you go on the, you go on the road, and remember there was a poem we had to read in high school called Autorec by Carl Shapiro. So what you remember, you know, people will go, there's a, an accident. So you'll have like a thousands of cars lined up. Everybody has to stop. If it's a Jewish oilum, so everybody stops and goes, you know, never. But there's a certain, like why is the traffic moving? Why is everybody stopping and saying never? There's something to it. So listen to what the Rebbe says. This is the last sentence. This is unbelievable. So he who is clever will fulfill this need with passionate prayer and Torah learning. If you're clever, the Rebbe says, clever. You see, the soul has a certain need. There's a quota of excitement. A Yiddish Hashem is a big thing. It comes from an exciting place. It comes from a big place. So there's a certain quota of excitement, the stimulation that the soul needs. So the Rebbe says, the one who is wise will fulfill that quota with passionate davening and learning. But the soul whose divine service is without emotion will have to find its stimulation elsewhere. It will either be driven to cheat, even forbidden sensation, or will become emotionally ill from lack of stimulation. I showed this once to a psychologist who was, who was absolutely floored by this insight of the Rebbe. There's a certain amount of stimulation that the neshama must have. Okay? People have a different talent. The neshama is a different madrevis. <clears throat> but there's a certain amount of stimulation that the neshama is craving for. So the Rebbe says the one who is wise will pour all that into davening, into learning, into loving your family. And the davening, therefore, is with a felt brand. It's an exciting davening. And the learning is a learning that's filled with excitement and stimulation. So the mind and the heart are engaged. They're engaged. But the Rebbe says, but what happens to the Jew who is not stimulated by terror, by mitzvahs, by Yiddish guy? So the Rebbe says that that person will either be driven to cheap, even forbidden sensation, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 11, and even 13. And nowadays my boys in school tell me that I don't know how this works out. There are hundreds of stations cable. I don't know how that works. But there are hundreds of stations. And then there's now, there's a new machle in Kleiso in the world that's called the internet. So you don't know how many carbonates may be heard. I know from people that talk to me what's going on. <clears throat> a beautiful girl, beautiful boy. There's a chat group and then something that happened one day. Da, 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 da. Internet. So... A person who does not find stimulation and excitement in Torah and Tefillah, in being a Jew, will have to seek it elsewhere, the Rebbe says, even perhaps in cheap stimulation. Or the person will become, as the Rebbe writes, emotionally ill from lack of stimulation. Emotionally ill. Listen, there's a teaching that's found in the Zohar Kodesh, Kisaisi. It says in the Zohar Kodesh the following. The Zohar is wondering how could it be that there's a parashat in Chumash about the rebellious son. 
What's the rebellious son called? The Vansar and Lyra. It's a parak and shas. How could it be that a Jew should have a rebellious child? So it says in the Torah, Ki yi ala'ish ben sari amayra, a'inen ishomeh b'kol oviv v'kol imay. There's a rebellious child. He doesn't listen to the, he doesn't listen to his father, doesn't listen to his mother, he is right, so he punish him, they discipline him. Well, Yishmaelim, he doesn't listen to him. So the Zohar Kodesh says, how could it be that a Jew should have a rebellious child? How could that be? So listen to what the Zohar says. It's going to hurt a little bit. So this is only for the honest and brave of heart. The rest of you, will just, if they're right or not, will just turn off to this. The Zohar says the following. How could it be that they should be a rebellious child? You know, many parents are asking that nowadays. How could this be? After all, the house is black kosher. I sent to the best yeshiva. We have pictures of Gedolim on the walls. I belong to all the right organizations. I come from a very meyuchistic family. So the Zoya says, and then the Shemir Bekalov, if he doesn't hear his father learning, or the Kalim, he doesn't hear his mother davening, and then the Yisroi says, and they try to punish him, they try to discipline him, and he doesn't hear them, because he never heard them. My father told me that when he was a child, and hungry, growing up, every single night of the week, every night, he either went to sleep hearing his mother saying Tehillim, not just saying crying Tehillim, or if it was Thursday night and Friday night, and it was a around. That's what my father heard when he was a little boy, his mother crying to him. His mother sang it, sat around and laughing when she read something. My father said to my grandmother, Hashemim Kamdama, when my father, my father told me that when she would, when she would read something in the chum, in the chum, even though she read it every year, she knew. When she would read about how the Nesol came out from the time, she would start to laugh and clap. That's how she read chum, she sat around. And she would say things in Yiddish, there, Paro, <laughs> My father said that's how he grew up. That's how he heard when he went to sleep. When the children hear us saying when they go to sleep, it's not just that. Kids, they know what excites their parents. They see that special look in the mother's eyes when the carriage finally arrives. After, you know, it was promised it would be delivered in a month and it comes after three months. And they stand there at the door with a look of, of, of longing. The children see the fathers. You know, the, I'm a New York Yankee fan for many years already. It's okay to say that over here, Stalin. So I'm a Yankee fan back in you know, the early 60s. And... Um, so, you know, Baruch Hashem, we've had a lot of us love in recent years. <laughs> uh, so, the, um, so, not this past World Series, this was pretty much a smooth sailing, but you remember a couple of years ago, the World Series? <clears throat> so I was hoping that, you know, I was hoping that somebody would invite me for the last game. And I can't ask, it doesn't look nice for the rabbi to ask. <laughs> so, but I was hoping that maybe somebody would see through the religious veneer I know that deep down I was just an American boy <laughs> polishing for the World Series. 
So, sure enough, it was a wonderful person that understood this. <clears throat> what a faker this rabbi is, basically. <laughs> he understood this. And uh, I was invited to the last game. So, so you know, now it is. When it comes to when it comes to a um, World Series, especially those close, so the kids stand there watching their fathers every single swing. The fathers going, oh, oh, and if there's a foul tip, and then if there's a if there's a ground ball and it, uh, it looks like it might go into the hole, and, oh, everybody's so excited and nervous and worried, and, and everybody's like saying, "L'shain ichut." And the gods will help, and, and, and please, please, she'll be with Mazel and Rafa. And it's been such a long season, and, and there's so many injuries, and, 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 and Gula redemption is in sight. So you have everybody's like, you know, I'm just getting into it, and the kids look at this. Give a kick. When it comes to going to shul, Kaitum calls Shabbos morning, Davin is at 9 o'clock. My father always comes at 9.17. Not 9.16, sometimes 9.18, but never 9.16. And the kid knows, believes Shalom, that his father could make it, but he doesn't want to. It's not that it happened once. Once a person oversleeps. Twice a moment happens. A kid watches his father sitting around the house, looking at a newspaper, having a coffee. He sees it's nine o'clock, Davening is starting. So he's psukah the zero, it doesn't mean anything. Harid Mashah, Kirubishmai, Baruch Shama, Vahoya, Hailam. No, doesn't mean anything. Kid understands. So finally, 917, 918, he walks into Shul stylishly late. Shalom Aleichem, there's a, there's a chavim, he could have a, it could be next to him as a 923 person. But he's talking a little bit, looks nice, a little bit, Bech's Okay, Krishna, a little bit. But the kid watches, he notices the kid is so smart. He says, By the World Series, my father looks like he's gasping for breath. By the, when the guy, when the last ad was made, they grabbed each other and they did a recut. They did Mamash Arika, like, you think that it was, you know, Friday night in, in, in Uman. They did Arika. And when it comes to, and when it comes to davening, like the Rebbe says, tight, dead, nothing. They see it. They see the mothers. When it comes to a conversation with a friend, a good chavata, or when it comes to something exciting that's going on in the, in the gap in the community, ooh, it's cooking, it's cooking, something's happening. But they don't hear it by the tail, like my father did, and your fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers, they don't hear it. They don't see that. The kids are smart and they understand that there's something else that's stimulating us, and it's not Hashem. Push it. You could argue with me. Tonight is Margaret, and you know it's true. And if you argue, it's only a sin that you're afraid to face the truth. Obviously, there are different madragas of this. There are different madragas. Children grow up seeing parents who are uninspired. If year after year they watch their kid, they watch their kid, they watch their father, the kid watches the father, and the rabbi, the second rabbi gets up to make a drasha, you see. You know that move, that's the famous. 
<laughs> so they're looking there to see so the rabbi shouldn't have there should be only 15 minutes 10 minutes so you see already they start to look at the watches and then they start to roll their eyes a little bit <clears throat> I heard this already I know this already no when it comes to davening they hear the fathers it's not you don't have to it's a, it's a subtle thing but when it comes to davening you know how it works what's with davening last week we finished over there 1120 and this other place we could finish 11 let's go for it <laughs> when it comes to Yom Kippur it's not no no it hurts a little bit the heart if you're a little bit zabrochen it's how low is the brain right how low is the half soccer 15 minutes what a bunch of losers <laughs> we had a three hour break these are, I mean, oh, listen, obviously, to, in order to make, to try to clarify things, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Not really. But I'll say that. <clears throat> but the children. So therefore, if it's a choice for a child, see, when we were kids, we didn't have such external stimulation. You know, but what's... Leave it to Beaver, Donna Reed. Yeah. And Hogan's Heroes was good. And uh, little sports. The kids now, they have the world at their fingertips. If you're learning, if they're learning in Yeshiva, it's not with a fire. If they're not, if it's just the same and they don't feel any relevance and the Rebbe doesn't sing with them a little bit, something. If there's no Hislavas, if there's no Hisrachis, if there's no emotional receptacle in their Jewish lives, the Rebbe says this, just going to have to find something else, somewhere else to pour their hearts out. Why do you think the kids are getting into chat groups? Do you hear this, Machla, chat group? You know what it means, chat group? You heard about this? You know, no, you, people get into it, and then they talk, to, they talk to strangers on the internet. Who, what, where, who are these people? You're living in a house, why don't you talk to people who you love? You have a close chavah, a close chavah But instead people are going looking, children are looking for friends someplace. For excitement, for something different. Our ancestors found warmth and excitement, they found a thrill in their little courtyard. They didn't have to go across, on the, they didn't have to surf on the web to find meaning in life. Meaning in life was, was found in your kitchen when you went into your mother. And you know that you belong to her and she belonged to you. And the children are looking for something else. Therefore, we have to understand. This is not something. This is not something that can be easily solved. <clears throat> it's not something. I believe that it means in their learning, in their learning they have to have there has to be a certain type of stimulation. Whether it means more chassidus or musa, machshava, in Tanakh, but with a depth. Rav Kook already a long time ago predicted what's going to be when there's a generation. When it comes to secular things, there's a lot of stimulation. But in Torah, is not keeping up with, the sec with that stimulation. So you have kids, they're going to college, they're going to different places, they're hearing profound ideas. They go, they're listening to radio, they watch this, they hear that deep ideas, concepts. I remember I had once, I have another five minutes, I don't know where I'm holding here.
Akfar. The, uh, the, I had a student, I had a student once that was, I was, I went to play basketball with the boys, and, uh, the 12th grade boys, I went to play ball with them. So, so, one, you know, there was a couple of guys that were sitting on the side there, and he says, Rebbe, you gotta hear this. I said, what is it? He says, Rebbe, just listen to this, it's so deep. So I don't remember what it was, it was like Pink Floyd or something. <laughs> I'm listening to something. <clears throat> so I'm thinking, you know, I told him, sorry, Chosh, it's very deep. <laughs> now, but, you know, one tag, one crown of one letter. But who's gonna tell the children what the ISIS of the island base means? To them, it's just another alphabet. Do they know what it means in alphabet base? Alphabet base, Gimel Dal. So sure, he listens to Pink Floyd, he says this is deep. Because he didn't hear deep things. So, for him, that's death. And they make the same mistakes in their relationships. Boy, he's deep. Boy, is she deep. But, this depth. The generation is shallow. But the children are looking for depth. And if the children don't find it in Yiddishkeit, they're going to look for it someplace else. They're going to look for it. You see, the Torah is not just something you could present on a blackboard. A lot of gifted teachers, and we need, Klaeso needs gifted teachers. And I'm sure that here, there are many gifted teachers in this place who have prepared curriculums and worksheets and so on. They follow all the rules and regulations, but that's not why you and I are Jewish. You and I are Jewish because Yiddishkeit was given to us. You can't teach. You can teach. You can teach the halachas. You can teach the sukkah. There are people that go their whole lives, and all they ever hear from rabbis is how did pasuk basil gimel work out. That's nice. I do that. I love that. You know, I I love these things. I love looking at something like that. But if a person goes through his entire life, so Bar Hashem, I'm 120 years, the pesukim all work out. Isn't that wonderful? All the pesukim worked out. There's not enough Hizchazkis, Islamists. What's the meaning of Torah? What does it mean to be a Yid, to be a Jew? You could get a guy that's learning in Kermel for years and talk to him, tell me about the 13 fundamental principles of our religion. Why do you believe in God? Was haste? What do you mean, why do I believe in God? Tell me, why do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? I shouldn't believe in God. Do you believe in God? I'm an Apicarus, you think? I'm asking you, tell me about your belief. Talk to me a little bit. Talk to me. No, we have to, we have to deepen, not just the information. When Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, the beginning of Pekah, says, Moshe, keep on Torah, and it was sorrowly Yeshua. It doesn't say Hashem taught Moshe Rabbeinu the Torah. There was no worksheets or curriculum. It says, Moshe, keep on Torah, and He received it, and he gave it over. You have to learn the worksheets and curriculum. But you need a Rebbe, a teacher, a Mora that gives Yiddishkeit over. And they don't train you for that in, in the seminaries and in the yeshivas. You either can or you can't. Same thing with parents. Hit the Yamach Shemal knockouts. My father said a lot of the Torah that he used to know. But my father gave me Yiddishkeit. My mother gave me Yiddishkeit. In a simple, sweet, and beautiful way. They gave me Yiddishkeit. I don't know how to explain it. I can't point to a particular fact, but I felt it in every single thing that they lived to be Jews. And it was the deepest thing in their lives. Even though it's true that my father doesn't have a beard and pegs, my mother might not cover her hair. 
Okay, I had these Akashas, but this guy, my father, well, I don't understand. Things happen, I don't ask any Akashas. But they gave me Yiddishkeit. It was with a certain warmth. My mother has this, she has this personal relationship with God. She, she talks to God. Now, that doesn't always work out, you understand, because sometimes it turns out that God is wrong, you understand? <laughs> but I know, like, when my mother, growing up, so my mother was moved, would move something that's moved. And I was in that religious, you know, the halachic stage. So I was, uh, mommy, it's moved, and I explained, it's moved, and my mother says, don't be such a big knocker. Just, my father looked at me like, don't, don't, don't tell mommy what to do, it's not how you do it. But of course, I was campaigning, crusading, so my, it's moved, so my mother would say, do you care if I move this? <laughs> what could it make? Do you really care if I can't move this to there? What do you care about that? That makes a difference to you? Now that's dangerous, you understand. That can be very dangerous. And that's not the part of it that's good. Because there's a halach and there's a shofar. You know? But there's something very sweet in that that I picked up. There's a dialogue between man and God. And the kids are not hearing it. They're hearing all the official things. But in terms of talking to God, and I'm not saying Hashem, I'm saying God. Talking to God. We have to give it over to our kids. Let me tell you a story on the end. It's very, very late to get back to the children. No? Let me tell you a story. Okay, I'll tell this <clears throat> There was a... There were two tzaddikim. I first told this mice in the wrong way. I first said, you know, this is a worker. It's only a mental of worker. You heard of worker? I'm sure you heard of him, Stan. So the, the tzaddikim from worker, I'm sure. <coughs> so the, this tzaddik or mental of worker, this tzaddik or mental of worker was best friends, dearest and closest friends, with another tzaddik by the name of Rabbi Ramos of Trisk, the son of Chernobyl Amagid. These were the closest friends. Mandela Vorka and Trisk Amagid. Sometimes they were kids, they had like this pact, this oath, that they're going to always be friends. And you know what happens in life? People grow up, so they decided, they were already becoming famous rabbis, famous tzaddikim, so they decided, they lived between them there was a forest between their towns so all the years they, just, they made a pact an agreement that every Arab Shabbos they would communicate with each other there was no phone they would, that the remnant worker would send a messenger to Trisk to Trisk Amagi with a little note for Shabbos and the, and the messenger would come back now this messenger was the most envied person in town and he had this job for over 20 years that was his job. He took off from work, he had a day, he had to go through the forest with a letter delivered to Jeskimag and come back with a letter from Mendel of Work. So, you know, there's a Yitzhahara in the world. So one day, this, one day this fellow, this person was going through the forest, and the Yitzhahara, Meshigan and Yitzhahara came to his head. But you know how you could rationalize? He said, you know, after all, it's a mitzvah to learn with the tzaddik from tzaddikim. So he said, let me take a look. You know, it wasn't sealed. Let me take a look what's in the letter. Doing this 20 years, rain, slow, snow, the whole thing. So let me take a look at the letter, what's over here. He takes out this letter, it's a totally blank page. This is either a Rebbe's a Michigan or he's a Russian. 
20 years I'm schlepping like this. I'm going, I'm, I'm going to this crazy place that I did for hours the whole Friday to take, to take a blank piece of paper to Triscomagia. He was totally broken. He comes to Triscomagia. Oh, good, you're here. My friend of Mendel sent me a letter. He gives him his letter. And then Triscomagia comes out from the room. His eyes are all red. He gives him an envelope. Now, the second he gets into the forest, on the way home, he opens the sink. Blank. It's bathing machine. They're both crazy. What kind of game? This is a cruel, sick game. They're sending blank pieces of paper. So he came back to Shabbos. He was very upset. He didn't go to the rabbi. He went to the rabbi. He he stood in the back. He didn't go there for the tissue. Just... But he decided after Shabbos he has to talk to the rabbi. After all, he loves the rabbi. He's so hurt he has to talk to the rabbi. So he goes into the remember who work and he says, Rebbe, and the Lord, he says, what's the matter with that emotion? What's the matter? I see that you're hurt. Something's wrong. She says, yeah, Rebbe, I'm very hurt. What happened? You know, Rebbe, half this, I did a terrible letter. I know you're not allowed. I was I'm doing this so many years. I decided I would take a look at the Rebbe's letter. I walked through the forest and opened it up. I said, man, it's shaking his head. And what was in the letter? What do you mean was in the letter? It was nothing. It was a totally blank letter. Uh-huh. And what happened? Did you deliver the letter? He says, yes. What happened? Just come out and gave me a piece of papers. I went to the forest. It's also blank. How can you do such a thing? Are you playing with me? So then the worker told him, listen. You know that the Torah is written black letters upon white parchment. That's a very deep opinion. That light and that whiteness between the letters. So the Svamakadoshan teaches us, the Zoyakadosh teaches us that the black letters is the love that God has for us that can be expressed. But the white space in between is that love that God has that's inexpressible. He can't even express not until the end of time. He can't explain it to us. You see, when, when, I, when I miss my friend, the Cheskanagid, most of the time I'm able to write something and I send him something and he sends me something back, he writes black letters. But then there are times that, they, that I miss him so deeply and the longing is so great that I can't send anything but the white space. And when I told this mice, this is very special. Talmud of mine I love very deeply. When I started, so some while after I told this mice, I had a Talmud of mine that was studying the answer, so yeshiva. And I was all excited, I got a letter from him finally. So I opened up the letter and it was blank. <laughs> but knowing that he knew the mice, uh, I have that letter, I saved that letter. I don't have many other letters, but I kept that letter. Because it's a letter that tells of un- unbridled, unbound love. You see, this generation is filled with words. I have to tell you, I'm uncomfortable, I see on every single day in newspapers. This seminar, this lecture, this lecture, children, in and hand. I'm also giving one. Here I am. <laughs> but please know, the main message I came to give you was the white paper, not the black letters. That's all. I just came to give you the whites, the white paper. The black letters, there's a lot of black letters. We're good people, we're good Jews, we want to do the best thing. We don't need a million books telling us how to be parents. We don't need a million lectures. We need to just be real. That's simple. 
The kids will get the white letters, they'll understand. You don't need the black letters. Hashem is brought to help us that we should be good with Hashem, should have Rahmanus and his children. Goals are going on for a long time. It's Purim Kali tonight, you know. And Purim Kali is a big yantif. Purim Kali means Tayyiv Laiv Mishnatayyiv. So the Ramah says, the end of Shulchanar Chaim, Tayyiv Laiv Mishnatayyiv. In early generations, he began Shulchanar Chaim, Hashem Laiv Jews were on a level where they were able to feel God's presence and they were afraid of God. That's the beginning of Shulchanar. We're holding now at the end of Shulchanar, it's Prokhan. The only way to stay Jews, the only way to remember that this is God is Tayyiv Laiv Mishnatayyiv. To celebrate being Jews and to be Besimcha. Our children will see it, and the little ones will become great ones, and Purim Kadmon will become Purim Gadmon, and will be a Zaychim for the Gula, and Hashem, and Amitis, and Hayyim, and Amitis. Good luck.